Rod May asked me some weeks ago if I could fill in on a Sunday school lesson, and he asked me uh, what the topic would be, and I had the concept, the idea of discernment is something that I've been wanting to learn about for a long time. By the way, pardon me, how many of you are suffering from allergies this week? Anybody? Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Hopefully my voice will hang through. So I told him I want to do it on discernment, and it sounded like a good idea at the time. And then the more I thought about it, I started to realize that the more you guys learn about discernment, the less opportunities I'll have to teach. So, yeah, you have to think about that one a minute. <laughs> so I hope you're listening attentively, mostly, to those issues. Somebody got it. So the call to spiritual discernment is what we're talking about today. And if you haven't been here to one of my Sunday school classes, I really try to be interactive. So thank you guys for sitting on the back, but really need everyone to kind of participate a little bit as we go. The call to spiritual discernment. Romans 12, 9 says, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And when I started studying on discernment, I really had no idea. It's not like the water hose when you're little and you're sucking on the water hose and your friend cranks up the nozzle. <laughs> you get way too much water. I realized that it's uh, much larger and comprehensive than I was thinking. So let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to study your word. We thank you for the gifts that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray that we will be growing in maturity, growing more like Christ. And I pray, Lord, even this morning uh, as we study your word and go into the worship service, that we would engage our hearts and our mind to grow and be more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, as an introduction, I wanted to start off with the Day of Discernment. Day of Discernment. In 1975, I grew up in Burleson, Texas. If anybody knows where Burleson, Texas is, I grew up uh, the son of a firefighter, Fort Worth firefighter. My dad was a big burly guy, and his job was to put out fires in Fort Worth. In 1975, it was about this time of year, we had uh, several acres um, that we were responsible for, we had a big brush pile that we had piled up in the back of our property. And my dad had gotten my brother and I up very early that Saturday to go and burn the pile. Now, trust me, it was hard enough getting two teenage boys up that early to do any work. But he had us out there, and he, we set the, the, the limbs on fire, and we're, we're just watching... The, the flames go up. He has this kind of catacorder around it. He's got a broom. And we notice after a few minutes, the, the fire ring, or the edge of the fire, starts to come out towards the grass. My dad takes his broom and he, he sweeps the, the fire out, right? There's no fire. But then in a few seconds later, the fire comes back up. And he looks at me and he said, Kenny, he calls me Kenny, you don't call me Kenny, he called me Kenny. He said, go to that, run to the house and call the fire department out here. And I, being a dumb teenager, said, what? <laughs> it's right here. Let's just step on it. Okay, my dad has a little bit of salty language, all right? And in 1975, he, he told me a few things that I remember today that I won't share this morning. But it was basically, go call the fire department now, okay? That's the... Revised version. So I run to the house, 
call the fire department. My sister there, she, she does the dialing, and she gets so upset she, she throws up. Sorry if I'm ruining your breakfast. And I come back outside to help put out the fire, and half of our yard, half of the, the acreage is in flames. And now there's panic, right? And so we're running around trying to get it. My dad positions himself on the edge of our property between our property and the neighbor's barn, and he fights the fire there. Well, the fire department eventually comes out. It's a volunteer fire department. It took them a while, and they, they put the fire out. But I think back about that, and I remember several things. But one, as I studied this lesson this week, I just remembered the wisdom that he had. He knew about fires. He knew something that I didn't know. And then there was a point of decision, this discernment that he had. He said, Kenny, it's time now to go and do something. It's a good analogy. You may not have been affected by the fire of 1975 like I was, but you were affected by another day of discernment, and that starts in the garden, right? That moment when Adam and Eve were given the option to live faithfully in the garden, and Adam is offered the fruit, right? That day of discernment, the weight of all humanity was on the line. Do you refuse or do you accept this fruit, Adam? That was the question. And sadly, he chose wrongly, didn't he? He did not have discernment. And literally billions of death, suffering, pain resulted from that failed day of discernment. So just a good introduction to think about how important it is to make good and godly decisions. And we think about discernment, we think about it as kind of the process of deciding of what is good and what is bad in the Christian life, biblical discernment. All right, as a way of engagement, I want to ask you guys this question, what are, what are some marks of a believer? Give me some marks of a believer in Christ, just throw them out. Faith. Good. You might even call it faithfulness. Good. Don't be shy. What is it? Fruits of the Spirit covers a lot of things, John. Pick one. Let's try gentleness. And we heard sanctification. Okay, so there's this process of progressive sanctification that's going on. And so you're going from immaturity to maturity. We're going to come back to that. All right. Discernment. Oh, Evelyn, you're so good. We get stars for Evelyn. Discernment. Good. So you meet someone on the street and you find out they're believers. And what qualities do you see in a mature believer? You think about the fruits of the Spirit. You think about maybe joy, love, maybe love. Peace, patience, oh boy, I need some more of that. Now, these are all growing fruits, right? They're small, but they're getting larger. In your life, as you grow and mature in Christ, these things should be getting larger and larger in your life. Now, Paul uses the analogy of the body, right? Our arms, legs, and feet. And it's been said that the, the... the idea of discernment, the gift of discernment, the use of discernment 
is sort of like, if you use that body analogy, it's sort of like the immune system. It's, it's preventing infection. It's fighting against something bad happening to you. Whereas, say, evangelism is, you know, you're going out, breaking new ground. Uh, discernment, in, a, in, in many ways, is, is kind of preventing damage from occurring. So we look at Romans 12, 9 at the top of your handout, and it says to abhor what is evil. The word abhor means to utterly detest that which is evil. It calls for a dramatic rejection, a repulsion of that which is evil. But on the other side, it's telling you to do something else. To cling to, literally to be clung or hold fast to that which is good. Meaning a wholehearted, almost the idea of just wrapping yourself in what is good. And the process of discernment is, is taking an issue and being able to figure out, okay, what's good and what's wrong with it. So the purpose of this Sunday school, I've, I've laid out in your handout just some basic principles. We want to glorify God in making wise and godly decisions. We want to declare justice for the oppressed, which is, you see that in the Old Testament frequently, discernment is helpful for. To know God, to know ourselves, requires discernment and understanding. Discernment is needed to protect the gospel that we've been given and to walk faithfully in temptation. On your handout, I've given you an outline of some things that I want to address. One, really just these six categories. The command to discernment, the definition of discernment, the great need for discernment, and how to attain discernment. And hopefully, if we have time, we'll get to some practical applications of that. I have a, a lot to say about discernment. I've only got one week to do it in. So everyone just strap in or go as quickly as we can. And I'm not sure that I can do everything that I have in your notes. We'll see. I love this quote by C.H. Spurgeon who says, Discernment is not simply telling the difference between right and wrong. That's the basic definition. But... It's rather, it is the difference between right and almost right. That is so true. It'd be nice if life came to you, oh, that's bad, that's good. But it doesn't come that way, does it? It comes kind of mixed together, and it requires discernment. Okay, let's look at the command, the command to discernment. Scripture requires every Christian has the responsibility to be discerning. And first, I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22. You don't have to turn there. We have some other passages we're getting to. It says, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Examine. That word examine is interesting. Uh, Donald Barnhouse in his book on Romans notes that that word examine comes from... Uh, the era of coinage, you know, that we don't think of the ancient, in the ancient history, they didn't have monetary paper money. They had literal precious uh, metals and they had a weight to it. And the process of examining was to take those coins and see if it had been shaved down and passed off as the authentic thing. So the value was the, the metal itself and the weight of it. And if it had been shaved off, you should be able to tell that if you're looking carefully. 
So this is the idea of examining something very closely, and discernment uh, is a good definition of discernment. It uh, comes from the Greek word dokimazo. So we should be dokimazoing. I know that's not right in Greek, but that should be part of our work. So in your handouts, from that verse, what is the scope of this process? What do you see that? Everything. Wow. Everything? That's a lot. It's because life comes to us that way, right? All areas of life and godliness at some point, at some time, will require us to exercise discernment. That's the scope. How about how are we to do it? Look at the verse. Carefully. Carefully. You know, I don't like carefully. (laughs) I don't have time for carefully. I just kind of want to run in, make a decision, and move on. But, you know, think about Adam in the garden. Wouldn't be, what would have happened if he had just stopped a minute and went, you know, Eve, maybe we should think about this a moment. <laughs> Let's take this decision carefully. I think God shows up in the evening. <laughs> you might want to ask him that question. Seeking for discernment. It requires us to be careful. It requires time and energy, patience. The scriptures talk about making quick decisions. It uses the term feet that run to evil, Right? Runs to evil. doesn't stop and ponders what's going on. And then there's this process of sorting. Um, The good is held on to. The bad, the evil is rejected. And so we need to have this kind of spiritual discernment. Uh, The next command, we're going to actually turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to look at the first six verses there. First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'm just going to run in here. Great section, by the way, for discernment. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. We're talking about false teachers, false doctrine coming into the church. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Christ Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. But you, little children, are from God and have overcome them because greater is he, here's encouragement, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And they are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world, what? listens to them. There's a mark. The world listens to them. Be careful. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen by this. Look at this. Here's here's his defining part there. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He's just given us some real bullet points for us to think about when we're challenged to use discernment. There's two commands there. In verse 1, can you tell me the two commands? That's it. Do what? Do not believe. And to test. That's right. So there are our commands. A lot of it's not good. 
So we're rejecting some things. Same things we're not supposed to believe. Some things we are to test and we're to use discernment. And the why is because there are many. It says there are many false teachers, false doctrine out there. We need to be discerning. Important facts that I want to highlight from that. Uh, you can know the truth by, or the parts that it's telling us, confessing Christ has come in the flesh. This is the basic of the doctrine that God himself came to the earth, suffered in our place. You know, the basics of the gospel are important. Denying Christ is the work of satanic forces. This reminds us that a lot of these battles are spiritual. I am the last one to remember that. I kind of just see things happening with my eye. I forget sometimes that we have spiritual forces against us. And it's already in the world. Even in the first century, the fight was already there, right? Didn't take any time. Number four, the lost world will listen to them. You're being invited to some of the popular talk shows about your theology. Should raise a flag for us to examine it. Could be good, might be wrong. Believers with the Holy Spirit will listen to the truth. They'll be teachable. They'll be correctable. Those are some traits they have. The world and the false spirits will not listen to the truth. So if you go to correct a teacher, they're not really ready to be corrected when the Word of God is presented to them. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay. Let's look at biblical discernment defined. I've got your interest. Let's talk about biblical discernment defined. Uh, I want to commend this book. It was recommended by MacArthur and several others. It's Tim Challey's book, The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment. Welcome to look at, at after class today. It's an excellent uh, kind of overview of using discernment. Many of you know Tim Challies, he does a lot of discernment on, on books and movies, and he's a source that many of us like to tap into. I like his uh, definition of discernment because it really just takes in what the Bible says about discernment and moves it into a definition, a lot like Dan will do with love. He takes in different passages, and we come up with our definition of love. I like how he did this. Discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's Word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. So here's the process. It's an action. Uh, in the Hebrew, the word, I'm sure I'm not going to pronounce this right, is bin, and it literally means to sort or to separate or put a space between. So something's tangled up. My, my job is to try to decipher which, which one goes where. It is a skill. Uh, discernment is a skill that we need to work on. It is a skill that's important for us to understand and to apply based on the scriptures. Number two, and this was a hurdle for me, it is connected to wisdom. I think some of you I asked, what is the difference between discernment and wisdom? I'm having a hard time. Why did I even choose this topic? And so I did a little search and it started to come apart for me a little bit. Connected to wisdom. Wisdom is the application of the fear of God to, to life. It's, it's a broad understanding of what the scriptures say and how we are to act in this world. It is living in such a way that we esteem God above all else. And we think about Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It starts with a right understanding of who God is, and that affects everything about us. So 
there's kind of a strong connection between wisdom and, wisdom and discernment, where wisdom is general. Discernment is wisdom applied. So you understand the issues around you. You understand what the scriptures say. You gain wisdom, but now the moment comes to make a decision about something presented to you. That is the application of discernment. I like, I like this statement here. <clears throat> discernment is wisdom in action. That helped me. Skillfully applying wisdom to real-life situations. And there's a progression here you see in the scriptures. You have this concept of gaining knowledge from the scriptures, life, grants, provides you wisdom. We want more than just knowledge and facts. We want wisdom on how to apply it. And then wisdom is the backdrop for applying discernment. Of course, we would need the scriptures. We need the Holy Spirit to aid us in that endeavor. I like what John MacArthur, I have in your notes, I love this quote by him, biblical faith is rational, it is reasonable, it is intelligent, it makes good sense, and spiritual truth is meant to be rationally contemplated. Does this sound passive to you? It's work. Examined logically, studied, analyzed, like you were back in class, and here's the next word, and employed as the only reliable basis for making wise judgments. That process is precisely what the scripture calls discernment. It requires us to engage our mind. I've, I've listed there Proverbs 26, 4, and 5. I thought this was interesting. Because in Proverbs 4, 6, 4, and 5, it talks about, do not, do not answer a fool in his folly. And the next verse says, answer a fool. <laughs> according to what he's saying. And you're like, well, well this is not a bipolar moment. <laughs> these verses are right together at the same moment. What, what are you trying to tell me, Lord, in these, in these passages? He's trying to tell us that both are wise statements, right? You know, don't talk to the fool. Hey, talk to the fool. <laughs> both have a place. But what we need is wisdom and discernment to know, okay, when do I apply this one? When do I apply this one? When I talk to Ken, which one do I use? Okay, don't, don't tell me that one. Keep that to yourself. Good, I hope that helps define discernment. Now look at number three, the great need that we have for discernment. I have several items here, I think seven, why we need discernment. Think about this. It is needed in freedom. If, this, I had to think about this a minute. It's needed in freedom. Now, when the church is persecuted... And you have to pay a price for preaching. You know what? The false teachers tend, tend to not hang around. The stake's too high for that. So th there's, there's other issues going on, right, in the persecuted church. But it's in, in, the, in the country where you're free to talk about the gospel. That is when we really need discernment. Because, you know, there's money to be made. And there's fame to be achieved. And, and people want that. And now you have to be very discerning in a country that is blessed with resources and false teachers tend to run in. So it's needed in freedom. Number two, error is popular. Being, having, we talked about 1 John chapter 4. We mentioned many false spirits have gone into the world, not just a few. The lost world will listen to them. We mentioned the large crowds. The world and false spirits will not listen to the truth. Okay, I'm going to get specific now here. 
It's about 2005. I was working in a nursing home. I think it was in Hearst. And then one of the nurses came to me and she said, Hey, Ken, I got this great book I want you to, I want you to read. It's really good. I got a lot out of it, but I really, really want you to tell me what you think. And so I had a, I had a lunch break and I said, Well, yeah, let, let me read it at lunch. Never seen the book before, never knew the author before. I read it and I realized he had a lot of nice things to say, even about the gospel, but he was missing things. Like there was no mention of sin or repentance. And I knew from being here that you need to have both, the good, bad news and the good news. And I handed it back to her and said, I don't know who this guy is, but I would just stay away from him. And she was not happy. <laughs> it wasn't a friendly face. That book was Joel Osteen's book, Your Best Life Now. I didn't know what I had gotten myself into at the time. But it was clear to me that something, something wrong was happening in that book. Joel Osteen is an easy target for us this morning. I'm going to mention a few things because it's important. He's part of this, the word faith movement. Here's his quote in, in a sermon that I, 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 got the, I got to the first part of it and I had to give up. But it said, start talking like it's going to happen. You have to say it before you'll see it. Wait a minute. That's going a step too far. The medical report says, no way. God has done his part. Now it's up to you. You know, there's a term for that. That's called deism, right? God, God has created all the blessings, and maybe there's a machine here. You just have to figure out a way to get to the button and just push it so all the blessings will come out. Why do I need to do better? The focus moves from God to you, that you're responsible. It's error. Uh, the sermon I tried to make it through was called Miracles in Your Mouth, where he says, our words have creative power. Okay, do you mean little C or big C? Little C I'm okay with. I have pictures on my refrigerator of my grandkids that creative is great. Big C is a problem. Ex nihilo, out of nothing, you're creating something. That's a problem. We need discernment. In that sermon, he talks about the silence of Zechariah. How many of you remember Zechariah, was, his mouth was shut because he questioned that God was going to give him a child, which would be John the Baptist. God shuts his mouth, and Joel Osteen says, that's how powerful words are. God knew if Zechariah went around talking defeat, I don't see how, we're too old, it would have kept the baby from being born. <laughs> really? I had no idea that you had that kind of authority, that we would thwart the will of God. The plan of salvation will be stuck by one, one man. I don't think so. <laughs> and, I mean, think about the scriptures. Application. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. What did they say when they were being thrown in the furnace? They said, we believe God can save us. But if he doesn't, I guess they missed the, they missed the teaching. <laughs> greatest miracle, one of the greatest miracles in the Bible you have there. And I thought about Jonah. He was sent to preach to Nineveh, right? Did he want to go? No. <laughs> he tried to get away. And so he finally agrees. He goes to Nineveh and he preaches not a positive word of faith message. In fact, he speaks a curse on the people. He said, you know, your, your city's going to go down in 40 days. <laughs> Destruction is coming. 
Did that stop God? No. <laughs> no. This was God's work, right? I, I mentioned Joel Osteen because he's probably the most popular uh, false teacher that we need to be aware of. And it can be an example for us to look at other things. But look at what Isaiah 46 says, 9 and 10. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient, from ancient times things which have not been done. Saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all. How much? All. Nothing's going to thwart God's plan. All will be accomplished. Okay, a great need. Number three, there are satanic forces, and they are our enemy. Remember that we have an enemy by God's design. Think about in the garden. He put enmity between his seed and her seed. So this, this fight, I hope this is encouraging to you, that God is in charge of it, right? He is overseeing it. We need to remember our enemy is intelligent and he is crafty. He's real. We use the term deceiver for him and he denies Christ's work. And it doesn't come to us clearly as error. It comes mixed in with something good. It requires discernment. And it is active. 1 Peter 5.8 says that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, some of you who watch too much National Geographic, probably, know about how lions hunt. Do lions hunt the, the strongest and the fastest? No. <laughs> they go for the weak and the slow, the ones that are easy prey, the ones who don't have discernment. So we need to grow in that area. Number four, the great need for discernment is we've been given the task of protecting the gospel. In your notes, I've written, it's the great treasure that we've been entrusted with. 2 Timothy 1.14 says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Our responsibility is to keep it. And in every generation, the fight is on. I love it when Matt comes and teaches history. We get to see these battles from the past and how they were fought. I was reading a few weeks ago about Athanasius and his fight against uh, the deists of his time. Um, I'm sorry, the Arians, that's right. And it's kind of a breaking down of the Trinity, that Christ wasn't part of the Trinity. And you know what? He rallied the church. In fact, they changed his nickname from Athanasius to Athanasius Contramundum. Latin means it's him against the world, I guess. But every generation, Luther had the Reformation, Spurgeon the downgrade. We are not exempt from the fight and the battle to preserve the gospel. It is our treasure. Number five is, this is an easy one, sin is deceitful. Sin is deceitful. That's why Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another how often? I'm going to wait. <laughs> Thank you. Day after day, we need the encouragement to be wise. Day after day, why it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Oh, I wish it would come to us easy to see, but it doesn't. It's always, always mixed. It's hard for us to see 
you know, for Adam, the fruit looked good, right? And we have a sinful nature, and there's no one exempt from that. To all of us at some point, sin looks good. We are just drawn to it, and we have to fight sin in our life. Sin is deceitful. Number six, we are accountable to God for what we believe. In Romans 14, Paul is talking about the uh, discernment of the weaker brother. He's mentioning loving one another more than uh, our liberty of drinking or what we eat that might offend our brother. It requires spiritual discernment. It needs to be engaging our mind and thinking wisely. It might require patience. But look, in verse 22, it says, The faith you have about that, happy, blessed, is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In what he approves. Don't condemn yourself for what you approve. Careful about what you accept because you are accountable for allowing false teaching, false ideas into your life, into your family. We need to be on guard. And number seven, uh, discernment has been needed in the past, the present, and the future. We talked about the garden We know we need discernment now, and it will be even more needed as we progress to the end of the age. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even even the elect. Even the elect. We have the Holy Spirit, we have the Scriptures, but the deception can be so great, the need of discernment is so great, that even, even believers will be misled. It's a call to all of us to engage in this discernment. Okay, number four, how to attain discernment. And the first thing I'm going to tell you, it's by practice. Some of you didn't want to hear that. You probably hoped it would just come, you know, download it on your iPod or something, then you're good to go. But it does require practice. Uh, Turn with me, if you can, to Hebrews chapter 5. going to look at verse 14, kind of chastising the believers here. I think I'm going to start in verse 12, or verse 11, talking about Christ as our high priest. Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. In other words, you're not growing up. (laughs) For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God and have have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Watch verse 15. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Okay, to be discerning, we have to work out. (laughs) Whether it's a 10K that you're trying to get ready for, whatever you're pursuing physically or mentally, it requires work. Discernment is training. It's a mark of becoming mature in Christ. God expects us to become proficient 
in discernment. And it's dependent on studying the Word and spending time in the fellowship. I like what Russ Starr said, I think it was last week, the week before, that growth, maturity, is dependent on meditation, on spending time in the Word, of growing. And by growing into the Word, we become more discerning of truth and error. Number two is by knowing the truth of God's Word. Now, this is the bedrock of discernment. This is where your feet get planted and they become sure. By the true knowledge of Him, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4 talk about. In the Hebrew discernment, oftentimes in the Old Testament, where you see understanding listed, I'm thinking about some of the Psalms, uses that same Hebrew term, ben, and different tenses of that. But you see almost 400 times in the Old Testament the need for discernment all the way through. Knowing God's Word reveals two important things. One is the character of God and then about God's ways. There's two wills here. God's will of decree. I hope I got these right. God's will of decree. God's will of decree is what we call His secretive will. It's what He doesn't have to share us. Because it's secretive. He doesn't have to tell us. We read the verses in Isaiah 46, declaring the end from the beginning, I will accomplish all my purpose. But he doesn't tell us all of his purpose. He doesn't tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. If someone's telling you what's going to happen tomorrow, (laughs) there's your first sign that that maybe something's not right with the teaching. That's his secretive will. We all also have God's will of command. And this is his, handwriting's terrible, is his revealed will. And of his revealed will, we're talking about the scriptures, what he has shown us in the scriptures. And there's two great things that we like to categorize those in. One is the truth about God. Okay, this is about his character, his attributes. From here, we talk about the truth about God is the first. From here, the truth about God, we're talking about truth and error. A.W. Pink has said, we've mentioned this from the pulpit, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If you understand that God is holy, 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 if you understand His attributes and character, that's going to change the way that you live. And the scripture has a lot to tell us about the truth about God. The second part of that is the will of God. And here... We're talking about what is right and what is wrong. How does God, we know his character, the Bible speaks about that, but then it's how do we implement that? What is he calling us to do? What is the action that he wants us to implement? The scriptures tell us a lot about what is right and what is wrong. He expects us to be accountable to those great truths. We cannot grow in discernment unless we are grounded and become students of the Word of God. It helps us discern right from wrong, truth from error, and it must come from His inspired Word. Now, it may sound ominous, but isn't it great that He's given us this book? This is our ultimate textbook, right, from truth and error. It is God-breathed. We go to it to discern good and evil. If it's not here, then we're left. But He's given us so much here to study and principles to observe. Brothers, we must become skilled in the Word of God. God wants us to be discerning. Number three, it is by request. So my point here is that it can be asked for. 
You know, in James, we're talking about asking for wisdom, and God will give you wisdom. Ask for discernment. You remember Solomon? And Solomon is given the kingdom, and, and God comes to him and asks him, what do you want, Solomon? Now, I thought that he asked for wisdom. You don't have to raise your hand, but I was pretty sh- positive he asked for wisdom. So I went back and looked at the passage, and sure enough, he doesn't ask for wisdom. He asks for understanding to discern. Understanding to discern, literally, that's what he asked for. God answers him, gives him wisdom and discernment and riches and honor. And what happens in the next chapter comes the lady with the two ladies with the dead child, right? He implements some discernment. The point is that we can ask for discernment. God is pleased to answer our prayers when we ask him for discernment. Be aware that it does require work. Requires us to, to get into the Word of God and study. How to attain discernment number four? By the, by the Holy Spirit's help. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, that whole section in 1 Corinthians 2 talks about the, the spiritual man requires spiritual things to be discerning. The, the man who doesn't know, doesn't have the Spirit, isn't able to understand the things of God. Remember this, this chapter. But it gets to verse 16, it says something pretty amazing. I, I don't think I've read through that chapter and got to verse 16, I didn't stop and go, wow. Because in verse 16, it talks about the Spirit, it talks about we have the mind of Christ. Wow. <laughs> wow. Those of us who, all of us who struggle with discernment, the Holy Spirit helps us. He gives us help to understand and ascertain what the Scriptures are saying. He gives us His mind, so we're able to implement the Word of God, to trust, to obey, to understand. Now, discernment as a spiritual gift, uh, it does mention that in 1 Corinthians 12.10. That can be a little controversial, but I don't think it really is in this case. It's called the distinguishing of spirits, the ability to determine if a person is te- teaching correctly or not. Uh, in the context of it, you remember it's, it was very active in the early church. We, we didn't have a canonization of Scripture. We had teachers coming in. We needed a, a way to determine whether someone was speaking the truth or not. But really, whether you're a cessationist, thinking all the spiritual gifts are, are closed, or you're a continuationist and you think all the, the miracle gifts are still happening, it doesn't matter. All groups really have the idea that discernment is a continuing gift that God gives his people to discern right from wrong. So it's for the, the gifts are for the building up of the body, working through the apostles and the teachers and the preachers at the time. Till today, we have preachers and teachers that help us discern the scriptures to maintain unity and to equip the believers with the, for the work of service. And the whole idea is to become mature, to become more like Christ. Christ's likeness. So those are the purposes of the gifts. I like Ephesians 4 kind of continues the idea of the idea of the gifts, including discernment. He says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Think about a boat that's lost its anchor and the storms are coming. It's just being pushed around. Don't be like that. But by the trickery of men, here's where discernment kind of kicks in, all right, blown around by these false doctrines, by craftiness, the word is deceitful scheming, all right? So the teaching comes to us tricky and deceitful. 
God wants us to not be like that. He wants us to be mature and discerning. And we have the gifts and the body to help us to grow in that. Now, connected to that is number five, is fellowship in the body. Is Dan Kirk here? He's going to be happy he's not here. Because I'm going to tell a story about him. When they let me teach, I like to throw in some fishing stories. So here's our fishing story. We were out, oh, Chris, I think it was 1999. I can't remember. We went to Lake Owachita State Park in Arkansas. Many, somebody's got there. Beautiful lake. It's clear. You can see straight to the bottom. One morning, Dan and, and my son, and I think it was Joshua or Andy were, were with us. And, and, you know, hey, if you know Dan Kirk, Dan loves his camping gear. How many of y'all know that? His family's going, yeah, he does. You ask him about camping gear, he will go on and on about, oh, I got this, my sleeping bag. And he had gotten these fishing poles for his sons, and he was so excited about that. They were, they were really small. I think they were called tadpoles or something, but you, could, like, you couldn't break them. They were like really strong and heavy, and he was really proud of those fishing poles, and I was impressed. So we get out on the boat, we're in the middle of the lake, fishing, and I hear this bloop. And I hear one of Dan's sons go, ah. Oh. <laughs> Dropped his fishing pole, and it sunk to the very bottom. Dan was not happy at that moment. <laughs> So he looks over the edge, and it's so weird because the, the water's so clear, you feel like you can just, like, grab it. But as soon as you put your hand in there, your arm just, like, shrinks like this. Like, what is that going on? And we tried to get a fishing pole in there to try to pull it up. We couldn't do it. So I look at Dan after we'd given up. I said, Dan, it's a nice pole, isn't it? He goes, yeah, it is. I said, uh, you know, don't see anybody around here. You might want to just uh, shake, out, shake off your outer garments. And just jump in there and get that fishing pole. <laughs> His eyes were worrying. I mean, they were just going back and forth. He's kind of looking around, and weighing the consequences. He said, uh, no, not going to do it. That was a wise man. A, the water was cold. B, I had a camera in my pocket. <laughs> Could have memorialized that. They use discernment. The reason I bring it up now is because I always say that's a day that, that Dan Kirk changed in my mind, and he's become such a mature man of God that I go to him frequently and ask him about discerning things for me. And several friends, some up here this morning, that I'll call and ask questions about to try to figure out, discern things. My point is that Fellowship in the body should be such that you need to identify people in this body that you go to. You know, that's a mature believer. I can go to them and ask them a hard question. They'll work with me and help figure this out. God has placed us in the body, given us different gifts. And isn't it surprising in groups where brothers and sisters come up with verses you never thought about? Like, oh, never thought about that. That's great. And you start digging in and seeing the wisdom that God has given them, and find those people. They're important people in your life. Number six, we talked about the work, but it does require engaging our mind, engaging our mind into God's work. It's, it's, it is difficult. It is time-consuming. We should avoid the flower-child thinking. <laughs> Some of you don't know what that means, the flower-child thinking. 
Flower child thinking is like, oh, I love you, you love me, and we love them, they love us. Forget about that doctrine stuff. I just want to love you, right? You be careful with that. Careful with that. Yes, love is an essential part of the Christian life, but not without discernment. Philippians 1.9 says, here's Paul's prayer about love. That your love may abound still more and more. Do we want more love? Yeah, we want more love. Watch what he says here. Abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Even in how we love one another requires us to engage our mind and be discerning even in the way we love. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is living and active, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The problem is, and that's great, the Bible doesn't always tell us every situation, and oftentimes it comes to us mixed together, and we're, we're required to figure them out. Okay, let me give you an example. Proverbs 22.24 says, Do not associate with a man given to anger. Sounds wise? We know it's wise. It's in the Scripture. What do you do when that's your boss, right? Ephesians 6 talks about how we honor our boss, right? We, we respect them. We, we serve them as to the Lord. But here he's saying we don't associate with them. Okay, Lord, now what do I need to do here? It requires discernment. It requires separating the issues out. It takes a little bit of time. A few, uh, couple of years ago, a young man working here in the Metroplex got to know him. He is from an African country. I think it was Kenya. And he came to me. He was talking about his conversion to Christ. It was great. He was telling me his testimony and kind of what happened to him. And what was hard about it is his father was a Muslim. Not just any Muslim, but in his village, he was the head Muslim. So there's actually a name for that. I don't remember the name. But when he turned to Christ, he was presented the gospel. He turned to Christ and it was like he just set off a bomb in his house. And he talked about his father, how he treated him. I mean, he, he would just beat him day after day. And eventually uh, kicked him out and wouldn't... Uh, this guy was in high school, still in his father's house. And, and really persecuted. Had no hope now for college or secondary education. All the money opportunities were gone now. But he was talking to me about how... He was going to hold fast to Christ no matter what. His father eventually let him back in. But it brings up a question how you would instruct him. Because you have the admonition in Ephesians 6. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your parents. But your parent, you're in his house. He's saying you can't go to church. And then now you have Hebrews 10, 25. Do not forsake the assembly. Okay? So what do you tell this young man? It requires wisdom, doesn't it? It requires digging in. It requires time. It requires effort. It requires encouragement. It, it requires us to look into the scriptures in the context and give him good advice. That's how problems often come to us. And it takes work. And it's helpful that we have brothers in the body to help us. Okay, so in closing here, just uh, number five here is kind of putting it all together. And this is just some practical steps uh, that I would encourage you to think through. Test everything, abstain from evil, and cling to what is good. Number one, in the day of discernment, when it comes, verify that the facts are true. How many times was it he said, she said, and 
you realize that she said nothing of that, and he didn't say anything of that. Make sure your facts are right. Number two, clarify the issue and weigh how significant it is. Okay, is this a primary issue where we're dealing with the fundamentals of the doctrine? We're dealing with Christ? Is this a, a false teacher situation? Is it secondary doctrine? Is it tertiary? Third, where it's just a matter of preference? I mean, we need to weigh on where on the scale this falls. Number three, we need to pray. Ask the Lord for wisdom when these cases are brought to us. Go to him in prayer. Number four, pay attention to your conscience. We hear this all the time from the pulpit is, you know, God has given you a spirit. He's given you a conscience. Don't violate that. Listen to it. Think about how it applies to the scriptures. And number five, once you've determined that it's a real issue and you, you need to deal with it, take it to the scriptures, right? This is where you start discerning. Search the scriptures for directions, for commands, for examples. Has this ever happened in the scriptures before? Do we have an example of how this happened in the past? Think about it. And then, once you've done that, research, research resources in the body people that you trust. We talked about that. And then maybe there's some men, some teachers that you really know are solid, and you can go to those websites and pose questions and look up resources that way. They're very helpful. Now, once you've come to a, a decision here, and you need to, you need to judge the situation. You need to make a decision if you can. You can either judge by abstaining from that teaching or that issue, and that may require... Um, and that will require, excuse me, if you, if you decide it's a bad doctrine or a bad situation, you, you're required to reject it. And that may mean telling your family members that this stuff we're not going to be a part of. It requires us to think about that. Praise the Lord that we have elders that, that deal with that for us at the church. You're responsible for that in your home and personally. Judge by abstaining or judge by holding fast. Maybe it is good. Maybe it's sound. Maybe it is encouraging that you had a question about it, but it looks good. The scriptures call, call us to hold fast to it. Rejoice in it if it's good doctrine. All right. That is the most of it. We can have a question afterwards, but we need to go ahead and pray and get to announcements. We're just going to do that this morning. Okay. Lord, we thank you, Father, for discernment. Thank you, Father, that we see the damage that bad discernment can provide, and Lord, we pray that we would be a discerning people, that we would be good students of your word, and that your Holy Spirit would come and help us to be a discerning people, not easily led astray by every wind that comes along. We ask for your help with that. I'll bless us this morning now as we go into worship. I pray you prepare our hearts for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.